Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled, Who Owns Space? Now, listener, I'm sure you know the owner of whatever land you're currently listening to this podcast is. If you own the land, it's you. Maybe it's a landlord. Maybe you're riding a bus and it's crown land or federal land or state land. We all have a fair idea who owns the land and who's allowed to make decisions on what to do with that land. Every war in history has been fought over land and resources. I'm trying to think of any that isn't, but none spring to mind. It's all about land. But who owns higher than 100 kilometers above your head when space officially begins? Who owns space? I have no idea. So I decided to go find an expert and ask her. Americans are going back to the moon permanently, they say. The Chinese have gone to the moon with little rovers and gone to Mars and dropped the first rover or the second rover over on Mars. The Indians have gone around Mars. We've got private companies such as SpaceX and Blue Origin floating around doing all sorts of interesting things. We've got Rocket Labs in New Zealand. We've got Gilmore Technologies and others right here in Australia. Everyone just seems to be doing their own thing, flying things up and down and going everywhere they like. Are there any rules? Is anyone watching this? Can can they just do what they like? Is can Elon Musk just go, I now own Mars. I am the king of Mars. And we all just go, I, I guess he is. Well, I don't know. But I'm thank goodness we have someone here who does know. Dan, do you know? No, Lord, no. Oh, thank no, goodness. No, no, I am I am underqualified, vastly underqualified for this question. And so thank goodness we have our actual guest, because Dan's let me down, it seems, and that is Dr. Stacy Henderson. Hello, Dr. Stacy Henderson. Hi. So you are a a doctor, but also a lawyer. I think it's the first that we've had that on our podcast at the at the School of Law in Adelaide. Yeah, absolutely. So we we teach international space law here. That, that, that's the most look. I, I just have to. I, that's, I'm very excited. So does that mean? Do you just when you enter every room in the world, do you just kick in the door and go, Doctor Stacy, space lawyer, and then like an electric guitar goes, near, 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 behind you? Is that no? Uh, but I'm totally going to do that now. Oh, just I, you should. I can't believe it. this is the thing of people with PhDs. You're always so down to earth. Pardon the pun. And sensible. Sensible people, but I would just, that's like, if you go space law, I just, I just this image when, when I, when I knew I was going to be interviewing you, of like, like someone says, like the judge says, oh, I'm going to put that person in jail. And you come in with a rocket pack going, I object, like smash <laughs> through the ceiling. And it was like space lawyer. Like, yes. Isn't, <laughs> isn't the term international space law an oxymoron? Like- no, it's, it's funnily <laughs> enough, it's not because there's a series of international legal agreements. So treaties. Oh that deal with space. So when we're talking international space law, we're not talking about law that's been created in space. We're talking about law created on Earth between countries that applies to space and the things that they do when they're engaging in space activities. Ah, so, so ultimately what you're saying there is that you haven't engaged any aliens in discussions yet. and agreements yet. 
Not yet. No, I'm I'm thinking that will be called something like galactic law or intergalactic law or something like that. It'd be really cool. Okay, so I feel have- like that would involve a lot more laser weapons, <laughs> laser punishments. Probably, yeah. Laser motivation, then. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> right. If your civilization, laser encouragement. yeah, laser encouragement, photonic encouragement. If your civilization doesn't do what we like, we will photonically encourage you into small. Anyway, we've gone well off track. Sorry, Doctor Stacy. Who owns space? Is it is that a simple question? Can can you just go? It's them, and then we walk away. Is, is this going to be a two minute interview? This is going to be a long one, actually. This is one of the yes. biggest questions. Uh, so. International space law is made up of a whole heap of treaties. I say a whole heap, there's five of them. Um, But the main treaty is the Outer Space Treaty, and that was very, very clear that space is the common heritage of all humankind. Well, it actually says mankind, but I fixed it. So (laughs) no one can own space. And at the time that the Outer Space Treaty was negotiated, it was the height of the Cold War, we had two spacefaring countries at the time, it was the USSR, as it then was, and the US. Mm-hmm. We hadn't had anyone land on the moon yet. And it was very early days. They were very, very conscious that they didn't want a, a sort of a, a land grab or a, a race for territory to apply to space as well. So it's very clear you can't own space. That's very surprising. So this is during the height of the Cold War. And people said, you know what we don't want is a, is a giant land grab for stuff. You're like, what was the, why? What was, was it because it was, it was considered just science fiction and therefore it was never going to happen or because everything else gets, I mean, I hate to, hate to be all Captain Cynical over here, but everything else is land grabbed out of existence. So, so why was space different? Why did someone say, no, no, we'll, we'll that'll be, we'll call that American space or Russian space or whatever. I think they didn't want to be the ones that didn't get there first. So they were they were wanting to. Ah. It wasn't sort of you know we want to get there and grab it and it's ours. It was more well, what if the other guys make it first? They're hedging their bets. They so, were hedging their bets. So it was FOMO. It was basically it was yeah. intergalactic FOMO. Absolutely, absolutely. Motivated their scientists are like, agreement. we don't know how we're going to do this. We're like. Okay, everyone, back off if you guys... Mr. President, we're terrible at this. They're going to kick our ass <laughs> on the other side. They're like, also, Mr. President, we don't know what is going on. Do you know how hard rocket science is? That's right. I mean, we're not brain surgeons here. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there's all these Germans going, we've got this. We've, we've got all of this. All of this? No, no, no. It's going to be all German very soon. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so... Now, it's all well and good to have laws, and it sounds like, well, you said there are five different treaties, but but does anyone care? Does it, Are they enforceable? And does anyone, you know, if, somebody, if the UN says stop it, everyone goes, shut up, UN, then it's like, oh, okay, like, whoops. So you just summarised international law in a nutshell. <laughs> yes! Um, so- I wrote my thesis immediately. <laughs> so countries do care mostly because they want to be seen to be good citizens, good international citizens. So international law and international space law rely a lot on being seen to do the right thing, being seen to be a law-abiding nation, all of those kinds of things. It makes it easier to break the rules when you're seen to be a good nation, I suppose. It does. It does. And one of the fascinating (laughs) things about international law is it's made by countries. So if countries decide they no longer want that to be the rule, they can change it mm. and they can change it either through a new treaty or they can change it through what's known as customary international law, which is law that's made through the behaviour of states, behaviour of 
the countries and their legal belief that they can do something or shouldn't do something. NASA went up many, many years ago and collected a bunch of moon rocks and came back. Does that mean that they don't own the moon rocks? Absolutely. But didn't they send someone to jail for like 10 years for for having sex on them with his girlfriend? (laughs) Like how can they? What? Have you not heard this story? No, I don't think I want to. Random question I've ever (laughs) had. (laughs) Some intern at NASA invited his girlfriend back to the labs and they had sex on the moon rocks because they wanted to have sex on the moon and he got caught and it was like this big federal crime and he went to jail for a decade. That could be to do with being in NASA premises. Yeah, that's probably it. That's, hey, I, I, here's my. I'm gonna have my bit. My, my I'm gonna have a bit of a boast here. A little bit of boast at the university I work at. There is a piece of moon rock, and I have seen it. I have seen it up close, and it looks like a little bit of rock. It's very cool. <laughs> and if you if you take that, you're not committing a crime. I didn't take it, Dan, allegedly, and you can't <laughs> prove anything. And I'd like you to please cut this from the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, so you might be because countries will have their own rules domestically that will still apply. So they can make rules about moon rock, for example. They can have custody of a piece of moon rock. They can use it for scientific experiments. They can use it for, you know, showing people, hey, here's a piece of the moon. Our museum has some moon dust. You know, it can be on display. If someone takes that, that would be a crime, but it would be a domestic sort of Australian crime of theft or a South Australian crime of theft if they did it here in our museum hmm. rather than being an international crime. Or okay, so so let's get let get bigger. Uh, Dan, someone... Dan, are you are you can I just ask, are you using Dr. Stacy to work out the perfect space crime here? I just need to I think, get I this think out. you're planning something. It's a space <laughs> caper. It's just, oh my goodness. <laughs> you son of a bitch, I'm in. like if i got like a comet that was like a 1k cubed (laughs) piece of lithium and brought that back to earth Mm. can i go that's my lithium or or is it or are the countries of the world like that's everyone's lithium baby so it depends is the classic lawyer answer um (laughs) depending on where you are when you're doing this and depending on whether your country has signed up to the moon agreement or not. So Uh some countries like the US and Luxembourg have domestic law. So it only applies to the US. The the two world powers of the US and Luxembourg. Super world powers. (laughs) that say if you as a citizen can go and extract some resources from space, your comet or your asteroid or your the moon, wherever, and bring it back to Earth, you can sell it. Oh, that's and nice. they say that's entirely consistent with the Outer Space Treaty and the obligation within the Outer Space Treaty that kind of no country can own space. So that's no country can own space, but individuals can own bits of space. Individuals are still going to get caught because a country is still going to be on the hook the Outer Space Treaty also says that any space activity ultimately has to have a country oh. responsible for it. Okay. So, Dan, so, we can't form Smart Enough Inc. and go into space and get a, a large bit of lithium and sell it. 
No, no, no. But you would need to be a US registered company to do it. Oh, hang on. Let me write that down. Or or we get a piece of lithium so big and we Mm. land it in the Pacific and then we plant a flag on that and we create our (laughs) own country called Lithiumania. Or, or, it's, let's face it, laws are enforced by violence. That's a terrible way of putting it, but you know what I mean? You have to be enforceable. So if we can get one rock of lithium and sell it and another rock of iron and just hover it over the United States and go, well, you know, you could let us sell the lithium or we could drop the iron mountain on you. That's, is that cool? Is that, is that? So it's like reverse selling. Would you like a, a cubic kilometer of lithium? Yes. Uh, would you like to buy this so that, so that it, uh, would you like, would you like to buy this for every other country on earth mm. so it doesn't land in your country? Yes, right. Yes, that's right. So or you would you like encountered another legal problem there? Oh, ooh, so ooh. international space law pulls in all international law and it also and applies it to space. And that also includes obligations that are in the United Nations Charter. That includes a prohibition on the threat or use of force. So having your nice big chunk of iron over (laughs) the US could be a prohibition on the threat or use of force. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) It's it's, it's definitely not there yet. We can't pause that thing. So so does that include deorbiting things like Chinese satellites? (laughs) (laughs) That causes a whole heap of other problems. So deorbiting them without control, obviously, very bad. Deorbiting them strategically in order to strike a particular target, also very bad. Good. Could be an act of aggression, could be an act of <laughs> all of these wonderful things. We, you know, we could see in the future, could see wars starting on the basis mm. of that kind of activity, which is why I, everyone gets pretty nervous when things start deorbiting without any indication <laughs> of where they're going. I, I look on the space track and discover it goes right across my city of Perth. Well, mm. it, it never made it, but it was close enough. Like, oh, it's a bit exciting. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have another hypothetical. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm an astronomer and I'm a little bit of an egomaniac and I hate the fact that the sky is now littered with like space junk. So I go up there in my spaceship and I collect them all in a big net. Have I like I collect all the, all the Elon Musk's little Starlink nonsense and a couple of big satellites to, for telecommunications and stuff. And I catch them in a net and throw them into the sun. Have I committed a crime there? Possibly. Oh, so, I like I like the ambiguity, the ambiguous answer. Oh, classic lawyer, you know. <laughs> Anything that's in space, so any space object, is still ultimately the own. It's owned by someone down here on Earth, whether that's a country, whether it's a private company, you know, SpaceX, whatever it is. If you go and take it, then that's potentially stealing it's inter- interfering with somebody's space activity there's a prohibition on harmful interference within international space law you can't go and mess up someone else's space activity unless you torture them so there's a, a requirement <laughs> to consult there's not a requirement to stop what you're doing there's a requirement to consult with them oh so that could be you know hey i'm about to grab your stuff in my net but i <laughs> you could end up in a whole heap of problem but it would mostly be domestic consequences down here on earth yeah, they know where you live, Dan, and they'd come and have a chat. Yeah, I'm guessing. Come again, mm. yeah. Well, it's yeah. not hard to miss. It's a cubic uh, kilometer of <laughs> somewhere in the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. That's right. And it has a flag. So. 
we do we, we've learned that we do have a flag it's very true <laughs> okay so we talk about going into space to get stuff but what happens if space falls next to me so i'm out, out for my run in the afternoon and a bit of space comes barreling in and and crashes into the wonderful western australian desert and i see it and i run over and i go mine and i pick up the the lump of iron that's on the ground and, and now does that that that's is that mine does that belong to me let's let's make it a bit easier it falls on land that i own let's say it comes down and it lands on something that i have deeds to like my own property is that mine most states have laws that say anything that does fall from the sky in that way the the state has first claim over it so oh, you have to you have to give it to a museum they have to be allowed to examine it so it's probably not going to be yours what if i catch it first <laughs> <laughs> I think ownership is the least of your problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we so basically, it seems like the law has this all tied up pretty nicely, pretty pretty well. Okay, so to some extent, yeah. to some extent. So, <laughs> now, Dan mentioned Starlink before. So, mm. on one hand, you've got that. So, what Starlink is? The listeners who don't know, it's lots of satellites. It's going to be thousands of satellites put up around the earth in low earth orbit to give internet to people not give sell internet to people around the world so you'll be able to get access to the internet high-speed internet anywhere in the world and this has put the wind up a lot of countries that don't want you to give access to the internet and and also to astronomers who now have as dan pointed out before all these will have all these bright lights in the sky whizzing across your your shots you, you take an exposure that lasts two minutes you may get three or four lines as these satellites go across now, so astronomers are angry about that, and Starlink is part of SpaceX, I do believe, and so therefore that's a private company. They didn't ask anyone to put those up, did they? They just went, we're doing a thing, and everyone went, oh, okay. Was, it, was there consultation? They, they will have had to have asked the US because they launched from the US. Ah. So they will have had to have, get, uh, had to have got a launch license. Mm-hmm. On that application, they would have had to say what they were going to do. And they would also have had to get clearance to have those particular orbital slots. Mm-hmm. So they will have had to say, we're going to have X number of who, satellites. Who, in who's that orbit. with? So who's, I mean, so so we if we put up smart enough CubeSat, do we have to get mm-hmm. permission to put it into a certain orbit? Yeah. Orbits are licensed and you get permission to use an orbit. It's controlled by the International Telecommunications Union. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole heap of rules around getting access to a particular orbital slot, and it's essentially filling in a form and saying, "Hey, we want to use this this orbit," and they say, "Yep," or they say, "No, you can have this one instead." You know, okay. And it's right. I mean, we... direct traffic, really. So they're yeah. like bashing into each other all the time. Mm. We've still got to work out how many helium balloons to attach to the satellite to get it up first, but that's important for after that point. Yes. And well, I mean, you, yeah. Oh my goodness, could you get? Because space technically starts at 100 kilometers up. That's the Kármán line. So I wonder if you could get something up there. Oh no, no. I'm, sorry, this is engineering. The helium balloon. The air is too thin. Yes, yeah. There would you be have too all thin. This thick- no, no. Helium, helium does float out of the atmosphere. That's why we lose helium and hydrogen. Make it a hydrogen yeah, but balloon. Not, not that much at a time. No, not that much at a time. Sorry, this is a, this is a whole different question. We'll have to get, sorry, now we're now we're in mad science thing stuff. So we'll get back to it. So, so and so they can put it up. And but that was America. So America went, yeah, sure, we'd love to have Starlink. And the rest of the world went, I guess we die. Like it, it, it's. It's um, as in you don't you don't get a choice. There's no international. Now, it, could Australia put in a dear United States and Mr. Musk? We don't like your satellites. Please bring the orbit off 
off above our ground level, thank you very much, love Australia or something like that? Probably wouldn't succeed. So there isn't really an an avenue for complaining about other countries using space in a particular way or the, the private companies of another country using space in a particular way. So, because we we're, we're in control of our airspace, like countries yeah. are in control of their airspace, but that I guess that uh, there's a certain top to air. There is, and the law doesn't know where that is, which is absolutely fascinating. So, oh. although from a scientific perspective, there is this idea that it's a hundred kilometers. Hmm. From a legal perspective, we don't know when international space law kicks in and our control over our airspace stops. So it's somewhere there, but we're not entirely sure where. So when how can you, I how can I commit a crime? Well, that's what I was going to say, Dan. <laughs> now, because Dr. Stacey said, "Oh, possibly and maybe before." So we need to we need to do crimes at a certain height so that they're not so the arguments of too many years. They go, "You're under arrest." You go, "Oh, but I'll be under arrest for international space law. Why don't we national for national Australian airspace law?" And they're like, oh, "We don't know." And then seven years later, they're still arguing about it. I'll and then we charge you with both. Just uh, basis. Crash. <laughs> but then, but then, if, isn't it? Isn't there a thing? Oh, this I, my my this all my knowledge. In, you're about to say double indemnity. Yeah, huh? yeah. You said you can't. You get me on one, but you can't get me on the other. Then you can't try me for the same crime twice. We could use that too. Oh my goodness! Can't, can't be tried for the same crime twice. But yes, you yes. would be charged with alternatives. Oh, what they're clever. Could, they're clever. Uh, but what they? if we commit mm. the same crime several times? Multiple charges. <laughs> Multiple. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Okay. This is, this is very much turning into a into. Yes, we're just picking your brains for ideas for for crime. All right. So let's let's go further afield. Then we've talked about low Earth orbit. We've talked about getting things off the ground. We've talked about you know big things in the sky. Let's go further out. Who owns then the planets? Can can Dan and I make a spaceship on the ground here and go into space and? claim mars well it sounds like we couldn't claim mars but we could start a base on mars we're allowed to touch mars no one's going to arrest us for going to mars no one will arrest you for going to mars but international space law has this principle called the principle of non-appropriation okay this is the the idea that you can't own a celestial body and you can't own it not just through your traditional kind of staking a claim and saying, hey, this is mine. Flag. <laughs> but also through use. So ah. if you're using a celestial body, then you're excluding other people from using the celestial body and that could be appropriation, which is prohibited under the Outer Space Treaty. Right. Interestingly, the okay. Starlink Terms of Service explicitly have a clause in them that talks about Mars being a free planet and that the laws relating to Starlink services provided on Mars, he's planning very, very far ahead, will be governed by Martian law, which does not yet exist. Okay, that's... (laughs) That's nice, but but yeah. but but that's totally not unlawful. <laughs> yes, yeah, not to say that you, you can say whatever you like, but it doesn't yeah. make it real. Okay, yeah. But they're. Go- I'm going to assume they're going to hope that in in let's say 50 years time, when this Starlink is around Mars, people are using it. That they'll say, well, we 50 years ago, this is an old law. Now we have precedents. That's what they're trying to pull off as precedents, which is, I think, sounds like it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're trying, but you can't, you can't get around space law in that way. When you come a space lawyer and you burst into a room, you scream, <laughs> you can't get around space law that way. And everyone goes, gasp. Anyway. Uh, so if I'm in a, say I'm in a, in a jet that leaves Australia <laughs> and lands in America, 
We think it's thirty k's an hour to the east, and, and I and I shoot up heroin on the flight. <laughs> now that's that's illegal in both Australia and America, but I'm over international waters. But because I'm in a, an airplane, for like uh, the laws, I think of either the destination or the the, the origin. Where's the aeroplane registered? Caymans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Then it would be their laws that apply. It's their yeah. laws. Now, if I'm in a spaceship, mm-hmm. like if I if I go up in a spaceship into space, can I take crystal meth? <laughs> Depends on the laws of the essentially the flag state. So whatever country that spacecraft is registered in. Those so spacecraft laws- have to be registered. And what about the ISS, which is for every, which is all sorts of bits and pieces from all over the place? Different laws apply depending on which module you're in. Oh my God! Which one's the meth one? Which one's the meth module? (laughs) I don't think there's a meth module yet. Not yet. We're having Amsterdam to send up a rocket. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, Dan, you've just worked out the legalities of Ashes to Ashes, David Bowie. So Ashes to Ashes, (laughs) Funk to Funky, we know Major Tom's a junkie. But he's not he's illegal. The, he's fine. He's in module five, five yes. B. He can be he's, a junkie. He's a total junkie. Yes, but right. comes out and he's all fine. Was it strung out on heaven's high, hitting an all time low legally because he's on his way to Mars. You know that's why David Bowie cut those lyrics out because he's you know. They didn't um, scan well. Didn't scan. No, it doesn't. It, it lost that. It lost that thing. It was. It was. It was, it was too too avant garde even for David Bowie. That's that's quite amazing. So. So has, do people take advantage of that by moving from to module to module to do certain things? Can, like, is, do they pirate music in one module and not in the other one? Funny you should mention pirating music. Uh, you might remember a few years ago Chris Hadfield played a song yes. on the ISS and moved from module to module as he did so. So that activates a whole heap of different copyright law. <gasps> So everyone thought, oh, my goodness, he's breached all these copyright laws. He'd got clearance ahead of time and got permission Yes, each of the jurisdictions that he was playing in. <laughs> so he planned ahead. Could, yes. could he have, if he'd, if he'd moved through each module at like and only spent nine seconds in each one, then that's just a nine-second grab. And that's like uh, <laughs> might be okay. That well, might be and, okay. Well, that's actually, you, you go around it. You go around the Earth. At, it goes around the uh, once every ninety minutes. I do believe the International Space Station they have a dawn every ninety minutes. So they're only going to be above a certain jurisdiction for a very short period of time as they're flashing You're around. You're not the listening Earth. to this at all. No, no, no. I'm just trying to get out. Of, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find ways of getting around this. I know the. He I know just the, told you the each module. The module. <laughs> I, I, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to contribute something. I'm sorry. <laughs> So the, with uh, Space Oddity, when, when Chris, um, Commander Chris Hadfield uh, sang Space Oddity, I do love that there was some pushback from the recording company. You know, supposedly never got permission from the recording company who owns the song. And and they were like, and then Don't David, make us come up there. They, right. <laughs> and, uh, and then David Bowie himself was like, everyone's, hi, I'm David Bowie. Obviously before he died. Hi, I'm David Bowie. And, and everyone stop being fools. I don't mind that he sang my song in space. In fact, it's very cool. And everyone was like, all right, fine, fine, fine. That's what you can do when you're David Bowie. It's just, uh, anyway, (sighs) we all miss him still. It's just took a down. <laughs> so that took a downer. Very it took a downer. So look, it's all fine. It's, it's all fine. So Dan, so as long as well, we, so if we create an Australian module and get it onto the International Space Station, 
the Australian law is what we'd have to follow. So yeah. we when wouldn't you're in be in the module. That's right. So we wouldn't be able to do tests on marsupials in Australia because it's, it's illegal to mess with the native fauna. So you wouldn't be able to have any sort of tests like that. You'd have to be very careful about that sort of thing. We would be able to hand out like $400 million grants to people who don't deserve it, though. That's that's legit. That's legal. That's that's a deep pull there, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. All right. As we go further into space, so basically you can't earn... earn own it but people are going to try and own it by using it but even though they're not allowed to just use it they have to well they can use it but they're not allowed to claim it just because they use it if you're mining mars you don't own mars yeah. uh, so for example the americans who put uh, landers on mars first and have a number of landers trundling around doing their thing they couldn't have said to the chinese no 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 you can't land on mars we've already landed here yeah uh, and they also can't say don't send your rover over here our rover's busy oh okay so right. you can't sort of exclude anyone else's use of space. <gasps> space battle bots. That's what I was thinking, Dan. No, no, no. no you, that I, would be cool. Because in America, you have Imagine stand- how high you can flip them. Because <laughs> in America, they have stand your ground laws and that sort of stuff. And, and yet there's reasonable, like if someone attacks me in my home, I can use reasonable force to defend myself, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. So that means if, if, if I sent my rover over to their rover, they'd be allowed to attack my rover to defend themselves as long as I was attacking their rover. That depends if the law of self-defense applies. Oh, okay. In order to be clear about whether their mm. rover is can come over, they mm. can just call out Red Rover, Red, red Rover. Red Rover, yeah, that's right, yes. Come you on did, over. That's right. If you don't hear Red Rover, then you can't come over. There you go. Yeah. That would solve a lot of problems, yeah. Um, okay, we confused so, a lot of our, we've probably confused a lot of our international listeners by, with that comment about Red, red Rover. Rover <laughs> it's probably a very Australian kids game. Like, it's, yeah. Anyway, look it up on the internet. You've got the internet. You can work it out. So there's like, uh, like six Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of gold on all of Earth. Is there, are there any legal problems with going into space and bringing back like a cubic kilometre of it and completely <laughs> devaluing the system? Does it address that at all? No, it doesn't address that at all. So international space law is essentially silent on space resources. So extraction, use, commercial exploitation, um, however you want to describe uh-huh. the, the the future of of space mining because at the time that international space law was created the technology simply wasn't there no one imagined it was going to be a thing composition of some celestial bodies wasn't known you couldn't predict it whereas now we know a lot more about space we know that there are really valuable minerals and and resources that Mm. are relatively close by that we now have the technology to go and extract there's nothing that says if you are successful in sending out a mission and bringing back this massive amount of gold or whatever the, the most valuable resource is at the time and bringing it back to earth and crashing the market. Kindness. <laughs> Distinct lack of kindness. That is the most valuable resource. Yeah. Wow. Most definitely. We need to find a large asteroid of kindness and then hurl it at the earth at speed. Pillage the earth. entire thing. <laughs> a thousand a million kilometers an hour, slam it into the earth, covering everyone in molten hot kindness. <laughs> <laughs> let's get let's get really esoteric. If okay, that we talk about resources and we've talked about we can't use um so we can't we we, we can grab resources, we're allowed to grab resources. Law is fine, uh, but we can understand how the laws who, who own something. But something like solar power, if I put a large 
solar panel in front of planet Earth and blocked out the sun in Mr. Burns style from The Simpsons and and so gathered all the sun's light that was touching the Earth but kept it for myself and then asked the Earth to pay for it now. Thank you very much if you want your crops to grow and you want the chickens to crow in the morning. That's what I'll do with it. Uh, then, then I, I, obviously, they can stop me with a weapon or something, but legally, can I do that? It's, it's, it's photons of light at this point. Is, is that a problem? I think they will find a way to make that a problem. <laughs> uh, if that's not a crime yet, I'm sure they will find a way to uh, to make if that a crime. This is, where, this, is the, this is the gray area that we want to <laughs> yeah, explore. This is, this is the gray area. Yeah, I, um, so I, think I like any phrase that means with, if it's not a crime yet. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think there will be a way that um, that, that will end up being a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> But I mean, they, they could say, "Well, we'll get back. We'll we'll know in a couple of days." You go, "Well, how will you know how many days there are?" I've blocked out the sun, and everyone just goes, "Ah, oh, very well done." All right, then we'll do it tonight, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Is is space law now sort of designed by those most interested in in space law? So, is it the big companies putting things, companies, oh, countries putting things into space? Obviously, United States, the Chinese. Uh, India, the three big ones I can think of nationally, are they the ones who mainly control what is illegal and what is legal? Are they the main driving forces, I mean? So space law has really been the same since these treaties were negotiated and and entered into force. So the Outer Space Treaty from 1967, the most recent treaty is the Moon Agreement, which has very, very few state parties to it. Australia is one of them because we'll sign anything. (laughs) Um, That's from 1984. There haven't been any new space laws created in that way since then. So what we're seeing instead are a whole heap of what we call bilateral agreements. So agreements just between two countries and the Artemis Accords, NASA has kind of set in motion, are an example of that. So countries coming together and going, okay, this is what we think our space activity needs. These are the laws our space activity needs to be governed by. We think they're consistent with our interpretation of the Outer Space Treaty. If you mm. sign up, you agree with us. Mm. Okay, so this might be more of a physics question than a legal question. But if I open up a portal to a planet, <laughs> say, 100 light years away, can I break international space law until the, 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 that law at the speed of light reaches that planet? <laughs> Or, do it, or legally, oh, so, does it... so, so is international space law infinitely fast, or does it only travel at the speed of light? What we're trying to say here. Yeah, that's a so, fascinating question, and I have no answer for you. So, so we'd have to break because we'd have to break that ourselves down. We'd have to go faster than light, which is is, is impossible at this point. And, so. and look, if you're breaking those laws, then yes, it doesn't matter yes. what laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Break if you're breaking them all the, while you're there. If, if you're breaking the laws of the universe, the laws of humankind mean nothing at that point to you. Yeah. So you're, you're a wizard, and you can do what you like. We get a signal from Jupiter and we build a spaceship and we fly to Jupiter and there is a there is a monolith in orbit around Jupiter, some sort of alien monolith. And then I accidentally fender bender it. Do I have to leave my details with the with the alien monolith or am I allowed to hit and run and just run away from the thing that's obviously not from Earth? Possibly need to leave your details. So one of the outer space treaties is the liability convention. (laughs) <laughs> and it talks about damage and liability for damage to other space objects. Oh. So if it is a space object, clearly, mm-hmm. if it's artificial, it's mm-hmm. a space object of some some variety, 
and you've damaged it mm-hmm. while you're in space, mm-hmm. then if you were grossly negligent, so you just rammed right oh. into it. Oh, I'm so, I am always, that's how I live my life. Bad. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was drinking. I was I was shooting up Dan's heroin all the way. It was terrible. I shouldn't have been doing it. It was just not so you're good. you're probably going to be liable for it. Well, actually, your country will be liable for it <laughs> because it's, you know, ultimately traced back to a country. And... <laughs> You probably have to leave your details and and pay for the repairs to the mm. monolith. Oh, that's 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 going to be mm. that's going to be expensive. And your insurance premiums will go right up. <laughs> they'll, they'll literally skyrocket. Yeah. They will literally. Skyrocket, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Does that mean that we have laws already for? So it, what happens if it's not a monolith? It's it's a it's a flying saucer, and there are little green people, and they come out. Do we have? rules for that already do we have like so so if i accidentally re- if they extend uh, like like a, a pseudopod and i reach out and grab it and then I, I squeeze it thinking it's a hand it turns out it's their eyes and i've just crushed their <laughs> eyes in my hand because i don't understand alien biology have i if i committed assault or anything like that have i hurt them like you know is that do the laws cross like that laws at this stage apply to humans we don't know what's going to happen if and when we ever do encounter an alien species right Okay, so, so the law hasn't really covered that. You're probably still going to need to, you know, beg for forgiveness in some way. All right, wish that. All right, no, that's that's fair enough. That's okay. So I can't. Therefore, I I can sell them heroin. Then that'll be totally legal <laughs> at that point because the laws don't apply to them. Oh no, no, they apply to me though. They Selling still heroin. Apply to you. Uh, but yeah, I can so buy you- their space drugs. Wait, but- so <laughs> can you can you sell heroin to animals? <laughs> no, the heroin is what is illegal, Dan. I think it's the point. We need to get off heroin. Why are we all here? Everyone should get off heroin. But anyway, sorry. We, this is getting very strange. What but- if two robots sold heroin to each other? <laughs> <laughs> Who gave them the heroin, Dan? That's the question. Look, why look, do they need it? Why? Yeah, that's, that's right. Have that's you not seen Robocop 2? That's why they need it. They, they <laughs> inject it in the brain. It's very, it's a, that, that's dystopian future. Terrible. That's very gross. Yes, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. Hi, I'm the king of the world. Uh, it's me. It's me, uh, uh, Leo from, from Titanic. I would like to sell you a bridge. And they're like, oh, great. We'd like to buy the bridge. Great. And I just sell them like London Bridge. I'm like, a little worried that the aliens sound like Daleks. Well, I think we should be selling to Daleks. Oh, you've got a good point there. <laughs> <laughs> but, know, so would that come under supporting terrorist organizations? <laughs> Possibly. Is that yeah. a war crime? Could be. Yeah, most definitely. You can't sell the bridge because you don't own the bridge. Yeah, okay. Right, okay. That's, that's, that's the problem I, that you'll still encounter. You'll yeah, still encounter laws uh, that apply here on Earth. So could you problem- sell a space bridge? <laughs> Whose space bridge is it? The aliens. They're not humans. You're going to sell them their own space bridge? No, you sell humans a sub- oh, the aliens aliens bridge. Mm. That could be really cool. We don't know. I, I'm flying through space. <laughs> And I decide, I go, I am a sovereign citizen. I secede from Australia. I'm no longer, I'm now from the country of Greg. And I take this spaceship through use because I've been in it for eight months, pooping everywhere. It's mine. And, uh, and so this spaceship is now the sovereign property of, of Wa Australia. I'll, I'll come up with a better name. And, uh, and so Wireland. now I'm a, Wireland. Oh, thank you very much. And, uh, and I, and now I'm a sovereign nation and therefore the laws of earth no longer apply to me. Could, could I even vape? That's, it sounds like rubbish, but maybe could I get away with that? No, it's not going to work. Uh. So space law is still going to make your country ultimately responsible because they're still going to be the launching state. Oh, so the right. The launching state doesn't okay. change 
and the launching state is still responsible, even if ownership of the space object changes. Okay. So and now, so step backwards. Sorry, Dan. Step, step backwards a bit. I secede my house from Australia. I build a launch mechanism on that house, like the Hutt River province. He, he seceded from Australia and then he came back. I mean, I don't think he actually, I don't think legally he did, but anyway, it's just Prince Leonard. Build my, if I built my launch, it feels like the answer is no, but I, I just need to, I just need to find this out. Like what I, I guess. And if you launch a rocket ship from a boat, you still launched the boat. Oh, they get you. And you still had to get a launch license from somewhere. So, but hang on, we just put an asteroid in the Pacific Ocean. Um, Lithuania? No, wait, that's a real country. The island continent of lithium in the Pacific. We own that. We've claimed that. We could, we could launch from that. It's, it seems, chick- seems chicken and the egg, though, doesn't it? We kind of have to launch. Something. I have a real question. Oh. Um, <laughs> what is the punishment for launching without a license? Depends on what country you've done that in. So I do it from my backyard. Fine. If you launch from your backyard without a launch license, then Australia is going to fine you. What, uh, like 70 bucks? or No, it's quite significant. Oh. It's quite a significant fine for launching without a permit. Does it depend on how high I get? This is a heron question again. depends on what you're doing. Because if, if I've got a rocket and it only goes into the air, then that's air, that would be air be air lot yep. and you could you could still be in trouble for mm. putting something potentially into the flight path of an aircraft yeah and I, so but they don't know exactly at what height it becomes space law they're gonna get you either way. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a fine under air law or it'll be a fine under space law mm. it'll be because that's our domestic law that you have to get permission yeah okay start, you know to launch under so dr stacy saving <laughs> Doctor, so what you're saying is if i'm rich i can get away with a lot more than if i was poor unfortunately it does seem that our uh, eccentric billionaires um, are pushing the boundaries of space law quite a lot more than, uh, mm. than those of us who are perhaps reliant on um you know other sources of funding to mm. uh, to engage in our space activities what it does highlight though is it's really important for us to keep an eye on what they're doing because mm. if they're getting away with things that are in that grey zone of space law and they're going places and doing things that we don't really want them to do as a, as a global community, we need to get the laws in place to tighten up those activities. I think that is excellent advice and I feel a lot safer, Dr. Stacey, knowing that you are at the vanguard keeping us safe from the eccentric billionaires. Thank you very much, Dr. Stacey, for chatting us to us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. After that interview, I just have more questions, and I'm sure you do as well, listener. If you have questions about the legalities of space, write in and ask us either, you know, you know the usual drill, so greg at smartenough.org or on Twitter at SE2KB. I forgot to ask Dr. Stacy what her origin story was. So here it is. What made you get into space law and how long have you, was it something that, when you went, I want to do space law, people were like, you're crazy. Or <laughs> People still say that. <laughs> so my area, I started looking at um, international law, like just international law generally, yes. and um, had the opportunity to work on a project that looked at space law and thought, wow, this is fascinating. So it allows me to watch science fiction and call it research. So <laughs> absolutely a dream. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, I'm very, very excited by that. So it seems 
who owns space comes down to a very simple rule the golden rule those that have the gold make the rules and as dr stacy said we have to keep an eye out for these people because really we all control space and we all can change the rules the rules can be changed rules and laws are just human constructs and they can be changed thank you for listening Stay safe out there in this exciting world. And if you possibly can, maybe help someone else get through these trying times. We will see you next time. Signing off. Mm